if I'm gonna be wrong, as I promised you yesterday, I'm gonna be really wrong. Well, guess what? I was even more wrong than I thought, but maybe not in the way you think. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dayon Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into hockey and or baseball, you'll at least have those to rely upon for the next few months. Bills 31, Steelers 17. It was, I feel, a tighter game than that score would suggest. The Steelers gave themselves a chance, pulling within seven in the fourth quarter, this after being down by three touchdowns. And then came that part that I was really wrong about in that the defense just had no answer. No answer for the Buffalo offense. No answer for Josh Allen. No answer for their own maddening inability to just tackle people. And this is very fair to point out, no answer for the sea of injuries with which they were hit. It wasn't just TJ Watt. And I actually thought Marcus Golden had a pretty nice game in his place. Minka Fitzpatrick came back and just couldn't have been 100% healthy or anything close to it with the way he played. Cam Hayward afterward, when I asked him about how badly he was hurt and whether or not he might come back next season, gave me initially this big smile and then went on to hesitate on both counts. He was nowhere near healthy. And maybe the one real dagger to the entire storyline that got overlooked, I think, by way too many people, possibly myself included, was the loss of the inside linebackers. And Landon Roberts, you know, he did his thing. He came back, he battled through his own injury, made a great pass breakup in the end zone. But when you lose Quan Alexander and Cole Holcomb in particular, because he was the number one guy, he was the only three down guy out of that group, wasn't there. And... That's where I was wrong. That's where I feel like I should have been more cognizant of how easily picked apart this defense could be by a quarterback of this caliber. Allen did stuff in this game that ordinary or even very good quarterbacks don't do and can't do. And if you're going to go at him basically hopping on one leg, you've got no chance, no matter what you do offensively. Oh, and that's another place where I was wrong, even though in a weird kind of way I was right. See, I thought if this was going to go off the rails, if this team was just going to have another one of those playoff debacle type performances where they're not even in it, they're not competitive, that it was going to be a regression of the offense. I thought you were going to see a big step backward if the Steelers were going to lose this game. And I guess kind of hidden within that was maybe my last trace of trepidation regarding Mason Rudolph. Where I thought, okay, I mean, some of this has to, you know, come crashing down to earth at some point. 
he wasn't going to stay at 112, 114, 118 QB ratings and everything else that he'd been doing. And oftentimes, that does mean a plunge. Well, the running game did regress. Jalen Warren with 38 yards on 8 carries. Najee Harris with 37 yards on 12 carries, a 3.1 average. And God knows how many of those were on first down. What were they thinking with that play calling? The offensive line regressed. The pass blocking, it was kind of there, but it was also kind of not. The run blocking wasn't anywhere near where it needed to be. The Bills didn't even bother blitzing. The Bills just sent their four guys up front and let them do the job, which they very much did. And the receivers, like, you know, I want to say some decent things about some of the the positive plays that were made, but then, you know, George Pickens has the painful fumble early on. Pat Fryermuth fumbles not once, but twice. And that's something of a trend for him in big games. So what am I left with here in attempting to praise the offense even a little bit? Yeah, right. The quarterback. Rudolph's numbers weren't mind-blowing. 22 of 39 for 229 yards, a couple of touchdowns, the one pick in the end zone, which we can debate back and forth all day as to whose fault that actually was. There was some sense that Deontay Johnson should have come back more to the ball. Mason himself said that he needed to throw it more to the outside to make sure that it didn't get picked. But there are two undisputed facts in this sequence. One is that Kair Elam made a great read to jump forward and get that ball. And the other one is that that can't happen. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. Beyond that, what I saw was the same thing I've been seeing for the three weeks prior, and that's a quarterback who never lost his poise, never lost his touch, never lost his leadership. He was the one who kept them in the game. He was the one who was willing them down the field to get those couple of touchdowns to get back. there. He was the one that threw a perfect ball to George Pickens down by the goal line that somehow went right through George's hands. That would have been a third touchdown, even if George didn't get into the end zone right then, they would have had the ball at the one or the two. He was the one who found Deontay Johnson for a touchdown, making it look very easy. He was the one who found Calvin Austin for another touchdown, making that one look even easier. I don't know why the coaching staff chose to take zero shots downfield. But my guess is that he probably would have been able to capitalize on at least one or two of them, given his history in this regard, and given the fact that, oh yeah, by the way, Buffalo's cornerbacks were dropping all over the place. But the coaches thought it would be a good idea to run on every single first down. A lot of things were working against this quarterback, and he didn't let any of them bother him. He just kept either making plays or putting his teammates in position to make plays. Now, you and I, we're going to have a long time to go over this particular subject, and I'm sure it's going to stay at the top of most lists. But here's my very short version. 
You do not let this person walk. You do not lose this quarterback. That has nothing to do, at least not immediately, with making some kind of decision on him versus Kenny Pickett or him versus an outside free agent or him versus a draft pick. None of that has to apply to what I'm saying here, which is that you do not let him leave. That's stupid. That's wasted asset management. Kenny's not leaving. He's team property. This player, Rudolph, is an unrestricted free agent. And everyone associated with the Steelers should be counting their blessings at the moment that when I asked Rudolph after this game, the following question, he answered it the way he did. Would you be willing to come back? Um, I love the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm -hmm. They've been my only home for six years. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll see what happens. Like I said, it's not really my decision. It's a a law that's out of my control. We'll see what happens. After four-plus years of being buried in Pittsburgh, he's still open to staying, even after his value skyrocketed over these past four games. That can't be lost when we come back J1Q. This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by our good friends at Mike's Beer Bar. They're located on Federal Street, directly across from PNC Park. Mike has more than 500 beers on tap, including from more than 50 local breweries. Stop in and say hello. Tell Mike we sent you. Mike's Beer Bar. Exciting news from Live Casino Pittsburgh's Poker Room. Join them this month for an $8,000 cash drawing on January 21st at noon. Don't miss the Westmoreland 300 Multi-Flight Poker Tournament starting January 23rd with a $25,000 guarantee prize pool. Seize your chance in the daily high-hand hustle promotion. The first 10 high hands went up to $200 with a second round from 6 to 10 p.m., More action, more winnings, only at Live Casino Pittsburgh's Poker Room. Visit livecasinopittsburgh.com for details. Also, be sure to follow Live Pittsburgh's Poker Room on X, at WML for promotion and tournament news. Today's J1Q comes from Rodney, who says, DK, for a $100 million defense... And the most expensive one in the league. The Steelers sure looked very soft. Isn't this Mike Tomlin's side of the ball? Yeah, it is. And when you see players who are either unable or way worse, unwilling to make tackles, there's a lot of things you need to be questioning. Not least of which is your chief priority being bringing down the ball carrier, wherever it is that they happen to be. This was the old Dick LeBeau mindset. He'd acknowledge readily, they're going to beat you every once in a while. They're going to put a ball somewhere. They're going to run somehow, and they're going to beat you. But you can't let them beat you for the distance. You've got to be able to bring them down at every opportunity. And that was the polar opposite of what happened in this game. The Josh Allen 52-yard run, Minka Fitzpatrick pulling up there because he thought Allen was going to execute one of those Kenny slides. And watching Patrick Peterson and Levi Wallace, and there's nobody you'd leave off the list. 
especially not in the secondary. Tackling's not as much a talent as it is a fundamental. There's nobody who plays on your defense who should be exempt from this. And to his credit, to cite a positive example, Joey Porter Jr. got a lot better at it as the season went along. A lot of the rest of it, as I referenced in the opening segment, did, for real, have to do with attrition. It's not an excuse when it's a fact. If we all agreed back in September that this team's three best defensive players were T.J. Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Cam Hayward, then we've got to agree that it's a heck of a thing to not have any of those three anywhere near top form for your most important game. I also referenced the inside linebackers. I thought Omar Khan had done a beautiful job of getting not just the first two that he picked up in Cole Holcomb and Landon Roberts, but then adding Quan Alexander and just having all three of them kind of work off each other. They became best buds. It was a blast to see them on and off the field. And then, boom, boom, two of them are gone. And Roberts went down. But I'm going to throw one more at you, and I'm going to do this for a reason. This defensive line, you know, some stuff went better than it might have looked up front. I felt from watching from the press boxes in the end zone at Highmark Stadium, you get a great view of run plays, better than anywhere else in the NFL. And the Bills didn't really get a whole lot going on the ground. They wanted to. You could see that. just didn't happen. And you have to give credit to the people that are up front for that. But you know what's completely gone from the Steelers' defensive arsenal? I mean, poof, vanished. Splash from the defensive line. Think about this. If I'm going to give credit here to the Bills' front four for what they did against the Steelers and really not just against the run, but against the pass and everything, they were pressuring, they were doing everything, and with no stunts, no trickery. They stayed in their nickel almost all the time, like they always do. Then I've got to acknowledge that it's been damn near forever since a defensive lineman wearing black and gold has made a play. You know, Cam is exactly what I described earlier. Larry Ogunjobi, he he ran into a couple, I think is the best way to put that, yesterday. And Keanu Benton just not good at all. Not just like for a rookie. He just was not good. He was getting tossed around. So in another subject that I'm sure we're going to be talking about a lot in the coming months, especially leading into the NFL draft, if I have a gun to my head and I'm picking in the first round, like right now, without even knowing any names or any rankings or anything of the sort, I am leaning really hard toward the defensive line. It's just been too long, and that's not how this franchise should be operating. Not the franchise of Mean Joe Green. Whew, boy, doesn't it feel like you could do like like 24 episodes just off this game? Well, as it turns out, and I've had a handful of people reaching out to ask, like, does this show just end when the season does? No, no, it, it, it doesn't ever end. The show will go on 
in both the colloquial and the literal senses every weekday all the way through. That's just how this thing has been conducted from day one. If you'd like to leave a J1Q, the best place to do that is on the DK Pittsburgh Sports app. I check that religiously. Go right to the section where you'll find the podcasts, and you can find that by downloading our free app. All of this is free. Tapping the microphone that's at the top of the screen, that'll show you all of our podcasts and go under Daily Shot of Steelers and just leave a comment there. I appreciate everyone who's listened to Daily Shot of Steelers. Our audience has almost tripled over the course of this really, really weird season. I'm trying to imagine what it would be like if the team were ever consistently good. But, you know, one thing at a time. Uh, I'm grateful for all of that. I'm grateful for all of the feedback, positive, negative, whatever it happens to be. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm grateful to be heading home from Buffalo tomorrow, spending a little bit of time with family and so forth before diving headfirst into hockey instead of just kind of dipping my toe in it once or twice a week. But again, daily shot of Steelers never ends, never goes on pause, never has a hiatus, never has a vacation or anything. It'll be back tomorrow. 